The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you. Simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH. I'm Andy, your host. And today I'm delighted to bring back the show, Friday show, with Dr. Peter Hammond. So let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? I am with you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And the title of today's, today's programme is The Real Story of Erlo Stegen and the Revival in KwaZulu. And the show image is of Reverend Erlo Steegan with Dr. Peter Hammond. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today, please? Well, Andrew, Kwasi Sabantu Mission, which is Zulu for meaning the place that helps people. So, Kwasi Sabantu, place, Kwa, place, Caesar, uh, that helps and Bantu people. So, Kwasi Sabantu means the place that helps people. And it's a name that was given to it by the local Zulu people. It grew out of an extraordinary ministry of Reverend Erlo Stegen, who's a German South African, um, and there's been revival for the last 60 years. So Erlo Stegen's story really begins back about 150 years ago. There was a revival in Germany under the ministry of Louis Harms and uh, in Hermannsburg, and they had a tremendous vision, and their vision was to send missionaries to Africa, but not just individual missionaries. They sent communities so the revival that started in the early 1800s um, in Germany um, sent out whole communities of farmers and carpenters and people of all sorts of capabilities who went out to support their missionaries to work in the area. So they had self-supporting missionary uh, model, which was so successful. And there was a very strong community of German people in uh, what today we call KwaZulu-Natal, uh, where the Zulus are very uh, strong, and they built schools and churches and hospitals and clinics and farms and very industrious, extremely high work ethic, very productive, and congregations developed out of it. And, of course, originally they were all Lutherans, but uh, in time, um, Erlo Stegen's ministry, now his great-grandparents came out on the Candace ship, the Candace named after the first African queen who was converted to Christ. So the Candace uh, was the name of the ship because Louis Holmes, looking at um, the cost of passages to Africa, worked out it was cheaper to build his own ship than to um, send the people um, paying for passages on commercial ships. 
So they built their own big wooden sailing vessel, the Candace, which sent many communities over. And uh, Erla Stegan's great-grandparents originally came in on, on the Candace. And his co-workers of today are all um, grandchildren or great-grandchildren of the original um, missionaries and supporting uh, farmers and others who were sent out by Louis Harms, who is the pastor in the middle of this revival up in Hermannsburg in northern Germany. So it's, it's quite an extraordinary story. But uh, I've known the Stegans and Quasimanta Mission for over 36 years, going there every year, sometimes multiple times a year, sometimes for over a month or so at a time. So I know the people very well. And uh, it's an amazing ministry, um, certainly an example of excellence. It's a place of revival. It's the most extraordinarily successful mission station on the continent of Africa. And for almost 60 years, they've had revival there now. The first thing you see when you come into this huge mission station is a auditorium that can see 10,000 people. It's an amazing architectural feat. People driving past come in just to see uh, the structure, which has no columns inside, so as not to obstruct view of the uh, front of, of the church. Uh, but it's, it's a tremendous auditorium. And uh, then you come across magnificent farms. They've got about 580 hectares of farmland with world-class products, which is often exported, everything from avocados to um, uh, green and red peppers to pineapples and mangoes and a wide range of fruits and vegetables, which gets uh, sold in some of the best stores or exported over the, all over the world. And they've got a massive water bottling factory, which is also funny because the original owner of this farm sold it over 60 years ago because there wasn't sufficient water there for his cattle. And now they are bottling tens of thousands of liters of pure spring water and selling it uh, literally millions of bottles a year, tens of thousands of an hour being made. And so we've got this bottling factory, Aquila, which is selling water all over the country and across the border, which is symbolic also of the living waters that's been flowing spiritually. But it's a very major um, employer in the area, and it's it's a, a major force for good throughout the country. Um, Aquila uh, is a very successful business and very well run. And it's, it's really strong German work ethic everywhere you can see. Now, they, of course, come under attack. Whenever you get a, a ministry that's doing a lot of good, they will come under attack. Um, they've got a large team of co-workers, something in the region of 120 co-workers or full-time missionaries there. And their families, their school often wins award products. Uh, um, they can sometimes have the top student of the country there and their science departments particularly produce some top scientists from uh, their schools. So that's quite extraordinary. They have a teacher training college, CEDA College, that attracts people from all over the world. I've seen students from everywhere, from Germany, Belgium, France, Switzerland, Korea, uh, coming there. So uh, it's an extraordinary teacher training college as well. Uh, they've got a choir that sings all over the world, uh, really world-renowned, a top-class radio station, Radio Quiz, he broadcasts 24 hours a day in four languages, English, Afrikaans, German, and Zulu. And uh, it's um, a really an outstanding one. It gets all kinds of awards. I think it's the biggest community Christian radio station in the country of South Africa. 
They've got a bakery that produces over 700 loaves a day. They've got a variety of confectionery. They've got a dairy, major yogurt production, sells to shops, hospitals, airline companies. Uh, they are a faith mission. They've never solicited funds. They don't take up uh, offerings at their meetings. In fact, when they have conferences and seminars, they don't charge people even for accommodation or food. So it's a major operation. Just this year in March, I was speaking to a minister's conference of over 2,000 ministers, evangelists, and missionaries from 65 countries gathered together in the auditorium. In July, I was speaking at the youth conference, and they had over 7,000 young people. And you think the logistics of providing accommodation and food for all these guests without taking up an offering, without charging anyone for accommodation or food, it's it's a major ministry. And you can see from reading the history of, of Erla Stegen, there's an excellent book, Bond Servant of Christ, uh, produced by a friend, um, uh, Alfreda Fleischmann, where she shows the model has been a sustainable, self-sustaining missionary model from the beginning, even before Erla Stegen began his work, before he was even born. The vision from the German revival was send out a community that will support their missionary. So it's not just one missionary being sent into the wilderness, but he's supported by farmers and carpenters and people, bricklayers and people of a wide variety of skills. So the community is helping to build the kingdom of God in this faraway area. And it's been a very successful model. So Quest now has all kinds of outstations and church plants, mission bases in Switzerland, Germany, France, Netherlands, Romania, uh, Russia, uh, Australia, Paraguay, uh, far and wide. They, uh, I should add, Mozambique and Angola as well. And they are working uh, ceaselessly to plant new bases. And we're involved in a few of those projects, such as up in Malawi and uh, down the ca- in the Cape, where we are, the Cape of Good Hope. But all of this started with a hunger for revival. So um, Erlo Stegen began this work. Um, He's the third youngest child of five brothers and one sister. And uh, he said when he was growing up, uh, he was brought up in a church, but he was not interested in religion. He just wanted to uh, be a world-class tennis player and make lots and lots of money. And he wanted to be involved in business. So he said uh, he was not interested, but God began to convict him of his disobedience towards his parents and his quarrelsomeness to his brothers and the wickedness of his heart. And he said, I realized I was a lost sinner in spite of the fact that I said my prayers and went to church. God says, the soul that sins shall die. And if sin rules in a man's life, that soul shall die unless he confesses his sins and forsake them. I cried to God, Lord Jesus, I need you. Change my life and save me from my sins. And uh, the Lord resisted um, God's call for him to enter into ministry after his conversion. I was unwilling to go, but the price was too high. So for 18 months, I went through hell as I rebelled against God. I learned that the price of disobedience is a thousand times worse than the price of obedience. Well, after his conversion and surrender to the Lord, he began reading lots. He said before his conversion, he hated reading books. Reading was a burden. But after Jesus came to my heart, I loved reading the Bible. It became my most precious book. And before his conversion, he didn't normally sing. And he said he was incapable of singing. But after he was converted, he couldn't stop singing. And he lost all interest in parties and dances and the obsession to make money. And the world receded and the promise of Scripture became very precious and wonderful. And he was impressed with the promise in John 15, 7, 
if you abide in me and I abide in you, if my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it will be done for you. I say to you, he that believes in me, the works that I shall do, he shall do also. In fact, greater works than he shall he do, because I'm going to the Father. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And Ulla Stegen said he is a missionary and evangelist for 12 years before the revival broke out. So from age 18, he was preaching the gospel. We celebrate recently 70 years of ministry. And for 12 years, he preached intense evangelism and preaching to people in Zulu, bringing the people to the Lord. And uh, yet he didn't see changed lives. He was concerned that the people were continuing to go to the ancestral spirit and the witch doctor. So one day he pointed out that all the founders of other religions are dead and buried. Only Jesus is alive forevermore. His grave is empty. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He has all power and authority. There's no other name amongst men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and life. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same today as he was 2,000 years ago. Well, he had hardly finished the sermon when an old woman came up to him and pleaded with him to pray for a daughter who was insane. And Stegan followed the woman to the hut and saw a shocking scene. In the middle of the hut, I saw a woman sitting on the ground, her arms bound to a center pole with wire. The wire had cut deeply into her flesh, so that blood was flowing down. She was covered with scars and wounds. She pulled at the wire with such violence that it cut deeply into her arms, and she incessantly spoke in foreign languages. The mother explained that for weeks she hadn't eaten anything nor slept. She breaks the strongest ropes. She runs into neighbors' yards and fields and gardens, destroys everything. When she bites someone, she doesn't let go. Look at my cattle pen. I don't have any goats, sheep, or cows left. Every animal I owned, I have sacrificed to the spirits. The cows I didn't kill, I had to give them to the witch doctor to pay. I haven't got any money left. I'm at the end of my strength. So Ulla Stegan took this troubled girl to his parents' farm, where they provided a room where the girl could stay while they prayed for her. And this demon-possessed girl smashed all the furniture, pulled out the springs from the mattresses, broke the window panes and frames, turned the room into a pigsty. And we prayed day and night for three weeks, but the woman wasn't healed. Instead, I was at the end of my strength and I was close to nervous breakdown. She sang her satanic songs incessantly, and she sang against the blood of Jesus in a blasphemous way, as only a devil could do. Holy sacrilegious songs resounded throughout the home. The girl renounced the blood and the death of Jesus, only the devil could do. What was I to do? Everyone had heard me preach, don't go to the witch doctors, don't sacrifice your goats and oxen to the holy, to the evil spirits. Jesus is the answer to all your problems, come to him. But we as Christians had failed. In the end, we all gave up and we had to take this demon-possessed girl back to her mother. And Ernest Deacon considered himself a complete failure. I preached the gospel for 12 years and I didn't know of 12 true Christians living in conformance with biblical principles to show for it. Hundreds of people had come to Christ and had walked down the aisle, made commitments at Israelis. But he saw them still being worldly and still indulging in everything from smoking to pornography and indecency. And he said, we told in the Bible to love not the world, don't love the things that belong to the world, be transformed by the Holy Spirit, not to be conformed to this world. But he said, my converts were still worldly and still thirsting for the things of the world. And after some years, he said to the congregation, we have to have Bible studies. Let's take our Bibles, and we will not try and explain anything away. We won't try to justify ourselves either. We'll just accept it as God's word directed to us. 
because whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall no wise enter therein. Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So they started studying the book of Acts, and from the onset, the Lord took hold of their hearts. And the more they studied Acts, the more their hearts were broken, because they saw that the early Christians continued with one accord in prayer. And they were not quarreling and slandering one another behind their backs. They had a unity in spirit. The death and the resurrection of Christ had so deeply affected them that they were in harmony. And they said, we need that because we are not in harmony with one another. We are not studying the word of God in that way. We pray we don't move the world. The world moves us. The early church did not tolerate sin. They had no room and no time for sin. They dealt with it severely. We worship God, but we tolerate sin in our midst. If you pray for revival, you're asking for something the world doesn't understand. We read the Bible superficially, and we cannot grasp what it is really about. We were at a loss. We had reached a deadlock. We were in a spiritually desperate situation. In John 3, John 7, verse 38, Jesus said, He that believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Do we have such living waters flowing out of our lives? And we have to answer, no, we don't. So earlier challenged this congregation, let us search the scriptures and let the word of God speak to us. Let us not try and twist and turn what we've read. Let us not disregard the scriptures. Let us rather disregard our ways and our customs, our church traditions, our personal religious opinions. Let us hear what the word of God has to say to us. Do we really believe the Bible? And Ernest Deegan explained that God is awful in his holiness. When the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he recognized that judgment begins at the house of God. And there needs to be brokenness. Many of our conversions are not genuine. Many of our converts are not really born again by the Holy Spirit. Many Christians do not know what it is to be convicted of sin. We do not love the Lord Jesus because we don't even know what forgiveness of sins means. The deeper the conviction, the greater the love for Jesus. He was forgiven much, loves much. So Ulrich Stegen testified how the Lord convicted him of pride and prejudice and idolatry. Let us get down on our knees and pray, he said. I wept incessantly. I cried, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the times of revival, the word of God comes alive. It smites us. It breaks our heart. It pierces our heart. The word of God is like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. It now became clear to me that it wasn't the heathen who was standing in the way of the revival. I could only pray out, Lord, there's one person hindering your work, and that is me. Please forgive me. And then their meeting was interrupted by a young woman, a new convert who stood up during the service and prayed, Oh, Lord Jesus, we have heard what the early church was like. Couldn't you come down and be in our midst as you came down 2,000 years ago? Can our church not become the same as the one in Jerusalem? Revive your work, O Lord, became the prayer of the congregation. And a week and a half later, God rent the heavens and revival fires came down. And that was the beginning of the revival at Kwasabanch. It was at the village of Mafamulu, a bit down the road, almost 20 kilometers away from their present location. But they quickly over outgrew their first mission base at Mapamulu. We were praying in a cow shed when we heard a noise like a rushing mighty wind. Everyone was conscious of the presence of God. All we could do was bow down and worship the God of heaven. Then a witch who was in charge of a training school for witches came to Ulo Stegen. She said, I need Jesus. Can he save me? I'm bound with the chains of hell. Can Jesus break these chains? If Jesus can't save me right now, I'm going to go straight to hell. 
pray for me that God frees me from these evil spirits. And Ulla Stegen and his co-workers began to sing hymns of victory, of the risen Christ, of the mighty victory to overcome the devil who had conquered sin and death. He paid the price with his own blood. And as they sang, the woman flung herself on the ground on her hands and knees and began to move around like a wild animal. And then there was the sound of barking dogs and herds of pigs grunting out of her innermost being. We prayed, O Lord, set this person free, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Well, the moment the evil spirits left her, the expression on her face changed abruptly. She became like a saint who had been living in the presence of the Lord for many years. She shone with the glow of heaven and it was in her eyes and she cried out, Oh, how marvelous! Jesus has set me free. Jesus has broken the chains of hell. Well, that was the first of the conversions. And Reverend Stegan said for the next few months, they barely had any sleep at all, day and night. They were so busy counseling people, praying for hundreds of thousands of people coming sick, troubled, demon-possessed people. Time and again, the people said, a power within us has driven us here. We cannot sleep anymore. We cannot recover our peace of mind. We can All we can see is our sins. And hundreds of people flocked to where we were in Mapamulu. We could go out of the front door of the building at any time, day or night, any time of the week, and there would be a hundred or more children. It was as though the day of judgment had arrived. And the conviction went so deep, some people couldn't believe that Jesus could forgive them. They came with tears, but they left with joy. Their lives were changed, and all things became new. In evangelism, we go to the heathen. In revival, the heathen come to us. Children were converted. Parents were astounded at the change of their attitudes and their behaviors. Husbands and wives were astounded as their partner was transformed. And God kindled his fire and spread through the valleys and mountains. So thousands were saved. There's no limit to what God can do. And from that time on, the Zulus no longer spoke of Christianity as a white man's religion. That was the end of that. They now had experienced Jesus Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior. I remember a blind man whose eyes had suddenly been opened, walking up and down, shaking his head, crying out again and again. We used to say he's the white man's God, but Jesus is my God. He truly is God. And sick people would be brought on stretchers and they'd rise and walk around. As a rule, they never prayed for healing before the person involved had settled their life with God. Divine healing begins in the heart. The Bible teaches in James 5 verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Healing of the soul is put first. Physical needs are secondary. Spiritual illness must be treated first. To be liberated from irritation, anger, resentment, and other sins is a thousand times more valuable than to be healed of a physical ailment. People would come saying, we cannot go on living in our sin. We must bring our sins to the light. We need forgiveness. We cannot go home until we've made peace with God. And next there was a Hindu woman coming with a 16-year-old daughter who was mentally handicapped. The doctor said that she was incurable. She'd been to the Hindu temples, but her gods couldn't help her. Well, uh, then she met a Zulu man who said, why don't you take your daughter to Mapamulu? There are Christians here that heal by the Lord Jesus. If you take her there, they will pray to him and Jesus will heal your daughter. And she thought, this is the God that I want to serve. And from the moment she said that her daughter was healed in her right mind, here she is, you can speak to her. And the daughter spoke 
From now on, I want to serve your God. Our God's failed, but your God has healed me. Ellis Deacon said, there's no God like Jesus Christ. When will the nations acknowledge that there's no Lord but him? He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of all kings. As a paralyzed 18-year-old girl, Anna Greta uh, healed. She'd been treated in five different hospitals, and she lay immovable on a stretcher. Her hair and skin were scalded from when the witch doctors fried frogs in a pan until they were boiling hot and then put these boiling hot frogs on her head. Well, after counseling her to repent of her sins, Earl Stegan prayed for her and the bones of her body began to shake like the leaves of a tree. She leapt out of the bed and onto her feet and started running. In an instant, she had been healed. The news of this spread like wildfire throughout the region and the very air was charged with the presence of God and uh, many people came. There's no greater prayer than that of the Lord Jesus. All the power in heaven and earth has been given to him. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. What a God, what a Savior. May God grant that our lives do not bring dishonor to his name, but are such that people may recognize that the word of God is the truth. Well, it's been a great privilege for me to know Christ Abundant for many, many years. And as a regular guest, I've repeatedly stayed with the mission. I've got many friends amongst them. I've visited their mission bases in Netherlands and Belgium and Germany and France, Romania and Switzerland. And they've worked in Mozambique and Angola, which used to be my mission fields. There's no doubt Christ Abundant is the most successful mission station on the continent of Africa. No one has done more for the people of Kwazulu than Erlo Stegen. This has been attested to by the king of the Zulus, King Goodwill Swalantini, and his prime minister, Mangasudu Budlezi, amongst others, have said, Erlo Stegen is God's apostle to the Zulu, and that he speaks better Zulu than anyone in Zuland. The king of the Zulu said, I learned my diction and my pronunciation from Erlo Stegen. He knows Zulu better than I do. Northwest University has acknowledged the extraordinary contribution of Elo Stegen to education in KwaZulu, and so they've given him an honorary doctor to acknowledge what he's done in planting so many schools and the tertiary education as well, like Cedar College, training teachers. And the premier of KwaZulu recently acknowledged Elo Stegen had built up the mission to be a major educator, major employer, and a positive influence throughout the province of KwaZulu Natal, and even across the world. To many people throughout South Africa and across the world, Kwasi Zavanta Mission, under the leadership of Erlo Stegen, has been a place of freedom and deliverance and repentance and restoration and revival. In many cases, healing too. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual healing. And over the years, there's been some amazing books written to expose this. Dr. Kurt Koch used to expose fake revivals. He went to uh, Indonesia and produced a book exposing the fraud um, and exaggerations about what was happening there. So he came to KwaZulu to expose the revival among Zulus, assuming like the other revivals he'd been to, that this was also fake. And he wrote the book God Amongst the Zulus and documented that these healings are real. These are uh, genuine times. You cannot explain away these incredible miracles. But Ola Stegen said, wherever God is at work, the devil is there to do his dirty work, his counter work. I'm of the opinion that often the depths of God's work can be measured by the amount of opposition encountered. And it's been almost 60 years since the beginning of the revival in Kwasabansu, and it's a growing, healthy, and tremendous church. 
Well, on Tuesday, last week, 26th of September, I flew to Natal. I arrived at KwaZulu-Natal just as the news broke that Uncle Erlo, the founder and director of Christ Mission, had passed into eternity at the age of 88. Renal failure, total renal failure, and respiratory failure. So on the death, on the death certificate, it says multi-organ failure. As I arrived at the Stegen home, I was asked to speak to the family and the co-workers who were gathered on the lawn. And I had to remind our good friends that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, that he took our griefs upon the cross. And our Lord Jesus wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He reminded Martha that her brother would rise from dead. And Martha acknowledged that he would rise on the last day. And Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even though he dies. And Ulla Stegen has run the race. He has kept the faith. There's a crown laid up for him in glory. We must praise God for life well lived and for life and legacy of this extraordinary bond servant of Christ. We have lost a great leader and a good friend and an example of excellence. But he has gained everlasting life and a well done good and faithful servant from the Lord who he so faithfully and energetically served for over seven decades. While we remain in the land of the dying, Erlo Stegen is now in the land of the living, where there's no more need for crutches or oxygen machines or wheelchairs. His six daughters, Hilda, Ruth, Naomi, Elizabeth, Dorothy and Esther, assisted by their husbands and their children, have diligently cared for Uncle Erlo in their home for the last two years of ill health. It's been an extraordinary labour of love. Uncle Erlo could not have asked for more loyal and loving daughters or grandsons and sons-in-law for that matter. They have been magnificent in protecting and ministering to their father's medical needs during these difficult months. Knowing from personal experience what is involved in caring for a loved one at home, the Stegan daughters, their husbands and children need to have our earnest prayers lifting them up at this most difficult time. Now arriving at the mission as the founder of this mission that's been its heart and soul for the last 70 years, you can imagine there's a lot of grief and shock and there's a deep sense of loss. And at Christmas, as I arrived, I was told by one of the co-workers, please, God has sent you here to comfort us. Please come and speak to us. And uh, on the lawn in front of Ulla Stegen's house were his grandchildren, his children, and sons-in-law, and hundreds of friends and supporters and co-workers. And so I had the opportunity to speak to them then. And again on Friday night uh, when I joined in evening meetings with Friends and neighbours from far and wide had come to express their solidarity with the Stegan family and their appreciation of Uncle Erlo. In the African tradition, we often use the word uncle for someone older than us in respect to maybe some of our listeners wonder why we're using that word. And uh, uh, I would normally refer to him as Uncle Erlo, which is very normal from the South African uh, culture that we uh, call someone who's not necessarily part of the family, but we call him uncle out of respect. Well, it's been a magnificent team effort of each of the daughters and the husbands and grandchildren taking turns caring for Uncle Olo around the clock. And this is a great loss for us. We have lost a great leader. But it is a great day of rejoicing for Olo Stegen. He has finished his race and he will be receiving rewards from the King of Glory. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Praise God for a faithful servant of the Lord. This is a time when we should celebrate his life and his legacy and take up the challenge to continue his work that he so successfully began. I don't think Erlo Stegen is replaceable. In human terms, he's absolutely unique and irreplaceable. 
Ulrich Stegen was one of the greatest Christian leaders in African history, certainly in South African history. There are not another hundred missionaries who could together achieve what he has or take up his responsibilities. However, he pioneered ministries which the next generation must now continue. And when people asked Ulrich Stegen, what's going to happen when you die? They're meaning they were concerned for the future. And Ulrich Stegen said he was not worried. He is sure his children and grandchildren will love God more wholeheartedly and hate sin more enthusiastically than he is. And he trusts that the Lord who began the work will continue to the next generation. Well, there's a steady stream of dignitaries and chiefs and pastors and leaders from throughout KwaZulu-Natal and Swaziland coming to the Stegen home. Every evening there were tributes being given by friends from far and wide. And they were also fulfilling the traditional Zulu customs of everyone who came to pay their respects and giving everyone the opportunity to speak about their remembrances. I heard Zulu saying, our father has left us, we are orphans. And we saw grown Zulu men, tough men, crying openly. One person spoke of a great tree has fallen. And you cannot measure the tree when it's standing upright, but when it falls on the ground, now you can measure the tree's length. He said, look how many saplings there are around a great tree that falls in the forest. And we must grow now and flourish. And we've had guests coming from Romania and Germany in the last few uh, days. We've had people coming there from Malawi and Zambia and Mozambique and uh, Zimbabwe. The teamwork, the generous catering, the complex logistics involved in all the hospitality, caring for the many thousands of guests that are expected is going to be impressive. The Stegans and the co-workers had the gift of hospitality. I'm convinced that after the daughters have devoted two years to caring for their ailing father at home, they must be physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, emotionally exhausted. But now they're determined to run another marathon of hospitality for the many well-wishers and members of the wider community who have naturally come wanting to see one of Earl Stegan's daughters at this time. My family knows how exhausting caring for a, loving, a loved one is in your home. The resilience, the love, the dedication and loyalty of Hilda and Ruth and Naomi and Elizabeth, Dorothy and Esther is a tribute to their father. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before them, endured the cross, despising the shame, he has set down the right hand of the throne of God. Well, one of the best ways of learning from the life and legacy of Ernest Stegen is to study his life. And the best book produced on his testimony and ministry so far is Bond Servant of Christ. Having read every word of this inspiring book, Bond Servant of Christ by Alfredo Fleischmann, I cannot commend this book highly enough. As somebody who's regularly traveled across the mountains since 1987, um, I can testify to the truth of this remarkable book, Bond Servant of Christ. Now, I'd read God Among the Zulus by, Ulo, by Kurt Koch, who came to expose the false revival and end up documenting the true revival at KSB, that this is the real thing. And there's also Revival Among the Zulus, written by Ulo Stegen. Um, those are some good sources, but this one is the best, this Bond Servant of Christ by Alfreda Fleischmann. Because when I asked Reverend Bill Bathman, who spent 67 years in ministry, Am I overstating the case to declare Kwasabans as the most blessed and effective mission in Africa? And he said, Peter, you can upgrade that to the world. I have ministered in 114 countries and there's no ministry on earth to compare with that of Erlo Stegen. And uh, 
I asked a minister in government recently, um, Kenneth Meshu, long-standing member of Parliament, do you know of any government department which has accomplished more to practically help the people of South Africa than Erla Stegen and the mission of Kwasabantu? Well, um, he said, there's no government in Africa that's done as much to help its people as Erla Stegen has helped people on the ground. The amount of people who spoke in these recent days of how Erla Stegen paid for their um, driver's license, paid for them to um, travel overseas, paid for medical things, helped the people with different things, picked people up and gave them lifts when they were struggling on the side of the road, turned up at their home when they had a loss in their family, someone had died, and, and brought a tent and helped them with hospitality, enabled them to provide for the guests that were coming, and so many practical things. Well, I cannot recommend uh, this book, Bond Servant of Christ, enough. It should be a required reading for every missionary and every theological student. It's an inspiring case study of an example of excellence in ministry and missions and in revival. There's 300 pages in the book and over 209 photographs, many of them in color, including the historic context, the conversion, the calling behind the revival. It reveals the historic roots of this unique work of God in quest of intermission, beginning with the revival in Germany of the 19th century and the launch of the North American Missionary Society in Hamburg and the ministry of Louis Holmes and the ship, the Candace, that they built to transport Christian missionaries and farming families to reach Africa for Christ. Bond Servant of Christ is an extraordinary record of the family background and of the early life of Erlo Stegen who from his teenage years has been dedicated to reaching Zulu people for Christ. This Thursday, we're going to hold a memorial service in Cape Town at the Upper Room in Livingston House at our mission headquarters. And then I'm flying to Durban to go up to Crossland Mission for the funeral that will be this coming Sunday the 8th, God willing. And people will be able to follow this online on www.ksb.org.za. So it's www.ksb, short for Kwasabantu, .org.za or ZA, as opposed to um, any other site. So it's ksb.org.za. That's the website, uh, which will surely have a live stream of the service this weekend. So it's a, a, a great loss from our perspective. Ulus Deegan's have been an amazing um, source of inspiration for all of us. And... Uh, we can only hope that others will take up the torch, not that anyone could take his place, but when we've asked Ulla Stegen what's going to happen when you die, he said he's not concerned. He trusts his children and grandchildren that they will take up the torch. He said he hopes and prays they're going to be more effective than he has been, that they'll be more wholehearted. And uh, that's asking a lot, but he certainly has a dedicated family. I mean, how many people have all their children and grandchildren living in and around their house? So, this is an extraordinary man, Ola Stegen, all six daughters and 25 grandchildren in and around his house. And they were all around his bed, kneeling, praying, singing on his last hours on earth before he went to his eternal reward. Uh, back to you, Andrew. Sorry, just struggling to unmute myself. Thank you, Peter. Yes, um, also, I just want to draw your attention, uh, folks, to a tribute that uh, Peter wrote uh, in respect of Erlo, uh, published on the 28th of September, Erlo Stegen, an example of excellence in missions, ministry and revival. 
and there are links in this article as well as many photos as well uh, but there are links to the book uh, that Peter was referring to uh, Bond Servant of Christ and that's from the Christian Liberty Books website um, and there are other links in there as well there's a link to a video uh, about uh, the attacks on Kwasabantu Mission and their official website so if you just click on there that's probably a good place where all those links are included and so you can explore further what uh, Peter has been uh, talking to us about today in that article that's uh, less than a week old so uh, Peter sad news um, astonishing the amount of uh, sick people that were healed at um, the Kosovantu mission. Um, did this get any sort of international recognition outside of Africa by any sort of mainstream sources, or do they, uh, are you aware of that at all? Well, I do know that there are some smaller TV stations in Germany and Netherlands who have come and have documented some of the things, and especially because the work of Kurt Koch, who is a very famous demonologist and authority on revivals, and Kurt Cox's recommendation led to many people visiting. When you go to Kwasabantu, it's, it's common to see visitors from as far afield as France and Australia and Switzerland and Russia. There's a lot of Russians there, actually. And there's many Russian communities that have moved here as well to different mission stations of Kwasabantu around the country. Um, we've got many Romanians and others that have got a very strong work amongst Romania. And uh, uh, one of the things I hadn't even mentioned is the... Um, 18,000 drug addicts who've been healed. You know, rehab's expensive, but they get free rehab. And there have been 18,000 documented cases of drug addicts who come to Kwasabantu who've been able to be freed of, of it. And there's a whole choir there of a large amount of people who's, who are all from a drug background. They, the uh, SIPSA, or the um, Concerned Young People of South Africa, uh, they gather together and they will sing and there's a lot of gangsters who've gotten converted there. I was doing a youth conference and I had a young man speak to me after I'd been ministering at the youth conference. He came forward and spoke to me in confession that he had hired a hitman when he was 18 years old to assassinate his father. As a young Indian man, imagine 18 years old and you've already been responsible for having your father murdered that he could take over his father's business. And here this person come in great grief of heart and repentance, uh, broken and seeking healing and freedom from drugs and so on. I've met people who were converted from witchcraft background, terrorists, people who've been murderers, people who've been thieves. One thief had to hire a truck to cart all the things she'd stolen to take it back to the people that she'd stole from you know, in restitution. They have massive restitution emphasis of people taking back what they've stolen and people going and, and repaying people that they had stolen from or restoring things that they had broken or were responsible for, or confessing their sins and going to the, the local police to say, I want to confess for having done this crime and so on. Uh, some amazing uh, cases of, of transformed lives. And I think that's the most striking of all about Kwasabansas, the changed lives, the people finding hope. People come there, they're doctors who've sent their hopeless patients in an ambulance sent from hospital over to Kwasabansi Mission because there's nothing more they can do. And at Kwasabansi, they, they never have a healing crusade, but people get healed. They don't exactly have altar calls, but people do come to the Lord continually. Uh, they, they preach the scriptures. It's a very straightforward work. But people do get healed. 
but normally it requires a confession of sin. So they will have an emphasis on counseling. And a person may come and say, you know, they need healing of the body, but the first priority is to get them right with God. And when they start going through the Ten Commands and seeing where have you broken God's law, what do you need to repent of and get right with God from? And they often go through layers and layers of people's resentments and bitternesses and unforgiveness and hatred in their hearts. And when people deal with their sin and get right with God, next thing, um, maybe the physical manifestations of their lives get cleared up. Not to say that you won't see people in wheelchairs or in crutches at Quest of Mission. They are not a prosperity cult. They don't promise healing to anyone. They just preach the word of God. But people have gotten healed. There's amazing documentations of people healed. And I have met some of these people too. And uh, just one example is how a man heard that you must take your farm workers to Quest of Mountain because if the farm workers go there, they won't steal and they'll work hard and they'll stop lying and all this. So the man filled up his truck with his farm workers, took them through to Quest of Mountain Mission. But then he got converted there. <laughs> he came back and he felt convicted that he's a tobacco farmer and tobacco is not good for people. So he dug up his entire crop and he got rid of the tobacco crop and he started to plant vegetables. Well, people said, you know, you're stupid and you should have at least uh, sold all the tobacco. Uh, what you've done is you've crippled your farm. There's no way you're going to survive. Well, next thing, a crop disease hit the area and all the tobacco crops died. And the only crops standing were the vegetables planted by this man who had gotten converted by accident because he hadn't been thinking of getting right himself. He just wanted his workers to get converted. And uh, it's these kind of testimonies. There's another friend of ours, uh, George Ushu, was a very responsible worker in the diamond mines up in the Ranyazik. And he stole over the years many, many diamonds, vast amounts of diamonds. And he got away with it. And he resigned, retired from the company and bought up a farm and bought up uh, extra this and the other. And, and, and he had totally gotten away with it. But then he started hearing tapes, uh, that's a time of audio cassettes, of Ernest Deacon preaching, felt convicted of sins and felt he had to do full restitution. He went and he confessed to the uh, Diamond Mines Company that he had been stealing diamonds and gotten away with a huge fortune. And he returned all the diamonds that he still had and he had to pay them back for the ones that he had sold. And that meant selling all of his, his homes, his farm, and all the other things that he had, his vehicles. And he ended up living in a very um, small little rental place because he had bankrupted himself for this restitution. Well, as it so happens, the Diamond Mine did not press charges, and the prosecutor declined to prosecute. So um, he made full restitution, and now he's leading a wonderful mission base nearby us. And that's, that's a testimony of George Ush, uh, Diamond uh, um, uh, thief. Well, there's so many examples you can give of restitution and changed lives, and people got healed. Uh, there's even people I've met who who were declared dead, clinically dead. And doctor, you know, pulled the blanket already over their heads, and and a person comes to life again and uh, in ex and fully healed. People who were um, past the point of no return, and uh, so there are some miraculous healings. Lots of deliverances, people who are under demonic possession. And the transformation, you speak there, some people you'd never guess when you start to talk to them, you realize this person used to be a terrorist or a murderer or a bank robber or um, a major kleptomaniac thief or uh, involved in homosexuality or whatever it was and drunk, drug addicts and drunkards and converted. And to find a mission station like this, and it's so well run, it's the one place where my children were so free they could run anywhere they liked 
because you know they're safe on the whole base. And it's only place you could run with around from uh, over hundreds of acres and hectares without any adult supervision because it's it's such a magnificent, safe location. And uh, when you see how well everything operates, you wonder how is this possible? The only explanation is it's the Spirit of God at work there. And re there really is a peace. I'm somebody who's always hyper, hyperactive. I do not relax easily. Um, I need to be in a game reserve uh, before I can actually relax around nature. Uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm busy like 24-7. But at Quasabanta Mission, there's such a peace. I find myself able to relax to some degree. And, and uh, uh, it's just such a privilege to be there and to be in this atmosphere. I should also say, to give you a bit of a feel of um, how it works with this country, uh, this, this mission, um, Ernest Deegan first invited me to come there in 1987 after my Mozambique report came out and wanted me to speak about my Mozambique report uh, to the parents' conference. So I was there January 1987, and he and his wife, Auntie Kay, gave their bedroom up for me. Now, I was a, a young, single missionary on a motorbike. I would have been happy with a, a mattress on the floor. I could have even just put up my sleeping bag on, on the floor. I would have been happy. A mattress would have been great, but... But they gave their bedroom, the master bedroom, to me, and they stayed in the children's room. I mean, that kind of um, humility and, and service to a, a young, um, next to, knows next to nothing kind of new missionary. And uh, they, they are like that. They're just very hospitable and, and giving people. Well, in 1992, my wife, Laura, and I were traveling up to Kwasabantu from Cape Town, and our engine seized in the middle of the Karoo Desert. We were about 560 kilometers from Cape Town, near the Three Sisters Mountains, a thousand kilometers away from Kwasabanta Mission. And after I tried everything with the Automobile Association, got towed to the local town, and I tried everything to get fixed, um, I was at a standstill, and I had to phone and say, I'm sorry, I'm going to be late for this conference. I'm not going to make it tomorrow morning. And the man on the phone, Charles, and said, just a minute. And he came back in less than a minute and said, I've spoken to Uncle Lolo. He said, stay where you are. He's sending his driver with his car to fetch you. Now, we were a 1,000 kilometers from Kwasamantu. Well, it wasn't that long later that a farmer arrived from the Orange Free State a few hundred kilometers away, and he towed us to his farm, which was 280 kilometers towed. We get to his farm. His wife's got supper for us. As we finished supper, Uncle Ulo's driver arrived with his car to pick us up and drive us through the night. My wife, my youngest daughter, Andrea, and I, and as the sun was rising in the morning, we drove through the gates of Kwasabanta Mission and I was able to walk straight to the school and begin my conference and seminar. I didn't miss a thing. My wife and daughter could go to bed. Um, it had been quite a day and night. But uh, who sends a car to fetch you a thousand kilometers away? You know, just that kind of um, thoughtfulness and generosity. Well, uh, when my wife Lenora passed away, she passed away the same kind of cancer that took Ulla Stegan's wife many years ago. He lost his wife, Kay Stegan, in 1997. And so he understood what it's like to deal with someone dying of cancer. And the morning that the hearse came to take away, or the morticians came to take away the body of my wife, and we were standing with a paddle guard, as she is a dragon boat paddler, uh, giving a paddle on a guard as she, as body was being carried out into the mortician's vehicle. And the Kwasabantu mission vehicle turned up, parked at a respectful distance. And they'd come with 
large amounts of food supplies and meals uh, from Uncle Lolo to care for us because they knew, you know, all the trauma involved in in uh, losing a loved one. And then when I was looking for a good place to bury my wife, Ulla Stegen contacted and said, uh, you can use our farm at Franschhoek. And so my wife was able to be buried in this beautiful farm up on the slope of the mountain overlooking the Franschhoek Valley by the Huguenot Monument area. Uh, a beautiful place of revival and of great historic significance in, in Africa. And they covered the funeral meal uh, for all the people who attended, uh, a lavish feast, actually, um, after that. And the thoughtfulness, the daughters of Uncle, Uncle Lola came down and even had gifts, good age-appropriate gifts for our grandsons, knowing you know that they're going to be grieving, they need some good distraction. And just the thoughtfulness in so many levels, the gifts, the uh, consideration, and uh, even to the point of, of giving a financial gift enough for me to cover the costs of the funeral, which, of course, those are unexpected costs, and they knew exactly what was involved, but that kind of thoughtfulness. So when we went through our hardest, darkest days, they were there, and they've always been our very best friends and an example. Ernest Deacon is a tough preacher in the pulpit, but he's a very gracious man one-to-one in counseling, and... Um, a good example to all of us. Now, as he has died, the newspaper headlines in South Africa are things like controversial cult leader dies and the world is a better place without Erla Stegen in it. And can you imagine those kind of hateful things being said by some enemies of the mission? There's so many hundreds of thousands of people thanking God for what Erla Stegen did and yet you've got a few nasty anti-Christian pagans out there saying they're glad he's dead and they hope he gets no peace and things like that. So I think it's important to set the record straight because there's a lot of hostility to this courageous German missionary and his wonderful co-workers and family. But um, uh, we need to speak up for the real story of of the real man who's a real man of God and this real revival at Kwasabantu. As Kurt Koch said, you know, this is the real deal. When he went to expose the false revivals, and he did that in Indonesia and other places. He thought Kwasabans would be a fake, just like all the other revivals he had seen. But when he saw the real thing, that's what led him to to write the book God Amongst Zulus. And Kurt Koch's widow uh, moved to Kwasabans, and his grandchildren live there. And uh, I've been in their home, so Kurt Koch, one of the world's greatest authorities on demonology and on revivals in the world. Um, the fact that his family moved to the mission station speaks for itself as well. So, thank you, Andrew. Let me hand back to you again. Thank you, Peter. And before we go, can you please let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you? Yes, my personal email is peter at frontline.org.za. P-E-T-E-R at F-R-O-N-T-L-I-N-E dot R-G dot Z-A. That's my personal email. Um, The mission is mission at frontline.org.za and our website www.frontlinemissionsa.org frontlinemissionsa.org and of course to get hold of Kwasabantu it's ksb.org.za ZA or ZA being for Zud Africa Thank you Peter Okay on that note I want to thank Peter so much for joining us today for this show dedicated to Erlo Stegen entitled The Real Story of Erlo Stegen and the revival in Kwasulu. Peter, I'll be back with you next week. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, folks, thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. And bye for now.